Acts chapter 13, we will be reading verses 24 through 37. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he, but behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to unloose, to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for the Bible, and we thank you for the book of Acts, which we have been studying through as a church together. We thank you that in your kindness you so chose to give this to the people of God throughout the centuries so that we would see your awesome and mighty works in the early church. And we thank you for the many practical lessons that we Find here in the book of Acts that we can learn and apply to our lives, to our families, and to our own local church as well. And Father, we pray that you would use this study in this book and in this passage this morning to edify the brethren, to give us grace as a church to conform more to your word of truth. And we pray that through this study and through this preaching, through this sermon, that you would be glorified and lifted up. And as the people of God sit and as we listen, and as we worship you, by showing that you are worthy to be heard and your word is worthy to be learned. This is why we are gathered together now. We glorify you and we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Bev, I know what you're thinking. After uh, we missed a, a verse there in that song, 
She wants to go back to the flannel grounds, don't you? Huh? Amen. That technology stuff sometimes uh, certainly uh, gets in the way. Well, we're certainly thankful this morning to be gathered together. And uh, yes, brethren, it's a little cool this morning, but uh, Lord willing, by the end of our sermon today, things will uh, be heated up just a little bit. Amen. And that's ultimately what we would like God to do, is to move His people through His Word. Amen. And this is what we must continually do, brethren, as we, again, get to the book of Acts this morning, and by God's good pleasure... By his providence, we do find ourselves again together in the book of Acts. The last Lord's Day morning, you will remember, uh, as we were gathered together when we took up God's holy word, that the Apostle Paul uh, had just begun the longest of his three missionary sermons, in which the Spirit of God leads Luke to record for you and I, and of course, to put on file for all of eternity, amen, God's word is eternal, and so the very words we're reading will always be, they will always be existing it's an amazing thing. He began, you remember, with God's saving grace in the Exodus. Then his providential deeds, amen, as we looked at that, as he took them out into the wilderness and as it led them into the promised land, with, again, with a reminder that the whole, if you will, the whole course of Paul's sermon is, again, to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you remember, he uses King David. He There's a confluence there. He talks about the Exodus, he, and then he brings in King David. You remember that, and just by way of remembrance, David is a is a central figure in our text here. Is, uh, he uses him as, again, a proof, if you will, of God's keeping his promises, of God uh, bringing forth the Messiah onto them. Look at verse 22 there, just quickly again, as we, again, see King David uh, uh, being brought up over and over again, when he had, verse, had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found uh, David, the son of Jesse, a man after God's, after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will. Look at verse 34 as we look ahead there just a little bit in, that, in our text. Verse 34, the Bible says, And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. There's King David again being brought out in our text. Look at verse 36 again as we just uh, lay the groundwork. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. And so again, the idea here is we're going to look at this, brother, and is that uh, Paul in his preaching is pointing them to Christ. He's using Israel's history. He's using the kings of Israel, King David specifically, because, of course, the lineage of Christ comes directly from King David. David, and he's fulfilling, if you remember, that promise. He's really preaching the resume of God's working in Israel's history. That's what he's doing. Again, using history to uh, bring the brothers to help them to understand. Now, again, God keeps his promises. Again, this is the promise that was kept to the nation of Israel itself as we were under the old uh, covenant, if you will. Look there again at verse 23. Again, God keeping his promise to them. This is the idea. Look at verse 23 if you will there, of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. Again, this is the central uh, theme, if you will. He's pointing them to Christ. In fact, look at verse 32 again, just to lay this out there again, keeping these things in our minds. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled. And so again, they're going back to the faithfulness of God, God's word, and him keeping his word and his promise to raise unto them a Savior. Paul now this morning, brethren, continues in his sermon in our text by pointing them to the surety of the testimony of John the Baptist, 
And then he directs them to even a more sure thing in our text, as we're going to see this morning, as all sound preachers should do. Amen? All sound preachers should, again, uh, if you will, point them back to the sacred scripture that contained God's irrevocable, his infallible words and promises, as I said. Again, the, the word of God. Divinely fulfilled prophecy is without a doubt. You know, that is one of the things, brother. And I mean, I could launch off on this for about an hour and a half. We're not going to do that this morning. We don't have that much time. But I could launch off. You look at what separates the Holy Scriptures from every other holy book out there. Every single one of them. One of them is fulfilled divine prophecy. And fulfilling it perfectly and precisely as God said it was going to be fulfilled. In fact, I wanted to put up on the screen. I don't think we got it. Because it's hard sometimes to disseminate numbers to you. But I want you to consider this for just a moment. As we are, again, considering the fulfilling of God's word. His pre-written history, which is what prophecy is. He simply speaks it and then he says, I will bring it to pass. And this is what he's done every single time. But there was a good brother who, uh, he looked at eight prophecies. Just eight prophecies of the 300 that are in the scripture concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Just eight. Where he would be born. Where he would live. These sorts of things. Just, and I, don't want to, I don't want that to sound too. It, it's not minor. It's major. But he looked at eight of them. And concerning Christ in the scripture. And he came to the conclusion as he looked at just eight. That one, the probability is one to ten to the twenty-eighth power. Just eight. Now brethren, I want you to consider this. Do you know what that means? It means one with 28 zeros behind it. The pro just eight prophecies that God spoke concerning the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The probability is one in 10 to the 28th power. Now, I wanted to put the number up there because it it's an amazing, stunning thing to think and consider that God would do that. It really is. It's really one, in, it's a word that I had to look up because I, I can't count that high. I mean, most people know when I get to 20, it's time to, I don't know, I'm in big trouble, Amen. But it's one in octillion. It's an octrillion. Think of that, brother, for just a moment, what that means. It's an amazing thing as we look at Scripture. Now, again, as a Bible-believing Christian, if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you too believe every word. And you believe it because it's God's word. Amen? Now, again, outside of that, there's historians, there are different men who weren't even Christians who have written concerning these important matters that Paul is talking about here. And so, again... The truthfulness of God, the truthfulness of his word, is what we're talking about here this morning. Now look there, brethren, if you would. Let me say that one in 100 octrillion, that is quite a thing when you think, when you consider that, brother. Look there, if you would, Acts chapter 13. Look at verses 24 and 25. Let's uh, look at that together. Again, uh, the apostle Paul is led by the Spirit of God to bring John the Baptist on the scene David, now John the Baptist. And really the Spirit just leads him. He jumps from David right to John the Baptist. Now David is ancient history. John is a more recent historian that they're going to look at that he's going to use uh, with the brethren here. Look at verses 24 and 25. When John had uh, first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. And brother, I love the apostle, or, or John the Baptist, because he was such a gloriously humble man. 
He's called by God to make the way of the Savior. And he's Christ is coming, his cousin. And it's an amazing thing. And all I can say is, I'm not him. In fact, if we're going to look at this, all of us need to have this humble attitude. Amen. It is Christ. All glory. What did we sing this morning? All glory be to Christ. May nothing that we have last. It is Christ. And this is John's glorious, <laughs> humble attitude towards his cousin, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look there. Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh uh, one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to lose. So again, as we look here, he's led again by the Spirit of God to leap right from King David, right to John the Baptist in their history. He uses John's testimony. And again, brethren, this is most important to us. See, a lot of times we have to think, again, with our Jewish caps, because he's using the Jewishness, the Jewish people, the Jewish kings, all of these things as he's preaching here. John the Baptist was a, what? He lived in the Old Testament, didn't he? The Old Covenant. He was a Jewish man. He uses John's testimony as a further piece of divine evidence to show them that their promised Messiah is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. He must become greater, I must become lesser. This is his attitude. He, he's pointing them to him like a good preacher, any good preacher should do. You should never preach anybody, point anybody to a man or anyone else. You point them to Christ. Amen. He was most holy and infallible and able to save them. You and I can't. It's an amazing thing, right, brother? John, as we all know, and this is why he uses John, John the Baptist, as we all know, was held in, by, in high esteem by many of the Jewish contingent. He was, in fact, if we look in Scripture, we're going to look at this. Many of them thought of him as a prophet. They thought of him as a prophet. Look with me, if you would, this morning again. This is, again, why the Spirit of God leads Paul to use these men whom they are holding high esteem. David in the highest of esteem. John the Baptist in the highest of, of esteem amongst these Jewish men. Look at Luke chapter 20 again, the same author. I love that because we just simply stay very consistent as the Bible always does. Look at Luke chapter 20. And I want us to see this again concerning John the Baptist. Why is he being used? Verse number one, and it came to pass that on those, one of those days as he taught the people in the temple, he preached the gospel. The chief priests and the scribes came upon him uh, with the elders and spake unto him saying, tell us. By what authority doest thou these things? Or who is he that uh, gave thee this authority? In verse 3, And he answered and said unto them, I will ask you one thing. And you answered. Remember when we went through the Gospel of Mark, the number of times that Jesus was asked a question, then he would ask the question? It's an amazing thing. Way more times than he ever answered them, he would respond with a question. This is what he's doing here. Well, let me ask you something. Verse 4, The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, Well, if we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why, then believe, uh, believe ye him not. But if we say of men, all the people will stone us. For they are, be persuaded that John is what? John is a prophet. And so again here, he's held in high esteem. Some believed him to be a prophet more than that, brethren. Not only did they believe John to be a prophet, some believed that he was the Messiah. This is why John had to say, It's not me. It's him. I must become lesser. He must become greater. Look with me again, brethren, as we look in Scripture. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Again, the idea here, they really believed that he was or could be possibly the Christ or, you know, the prophet, as I said. Look at John chapter 1. Look at verse number 19. Let's just look there together again, allowing Scripture to speak to us. 
And this is the record of John. <laughs> this is what John said. When the Jews sent priests and Levites uh, from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Again, they, they're thinking he's a prophet. They're thinking he might be the Christ. He's held in high esteem. Look at what he says. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? Do you know who the Jewish people are still looking for? If you go hop on an airplane and head across over to Israel, you'll find out real quick who they're still waiting and looking for. They're looking for Elijah. They're still, to this very day, you get on an airplane like uh, my wife's uncle went, I've told this before, when, when he went to Israel, they're all standing up with their shawls over their arms, quoting scripture, waiting for Elijah to come. He's already here, brother, and he's already been here. But this is what they're waiting for. And so they're asking, is, are you Elias? Is that who you are? Are you this or that? Look at, and he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us. What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying in the wilderness. I am stunned, brethren. We're going to be stunned this morning at the number of times that scripture is quoted. When they go back and they just continually lean on scripture, which we should all do again. A good preacher, that's what a good pastor does. Amen. He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight way of the Lord. He said, uh, as said the prophet Isaiah. See, that's what they're looking for. And when they were sent, uh, uh, and they that which were sent to the Pharisees, and they asked him and said unto him, why baptizest thou then if thou be not that Christ? See, again, this is what they're thinking in their mind. Nor Elias, neither that prophet, John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there, shall, but there standeth one among you whom ye know not. Look at here. He it is who coming after me is preferred before me. Look at who's what shoes. Again, here's Paul referring back to one of their greatest uh, men that they held in high esteem. Whose shoes latcheth, I am not worthy to unloose. So again, we see the Spirit of God leading Paul as he's preaching. In fact, John takes it even a step farther as he's preaching here. Look at this a little farther along in verse 29. Verse 29 and 30. Look there, if you would, verse number 29. Here's John the Baptist. Here he is. They're asking him who he is. Are you this prophet? Are you the Christ? Who are you? And look what he does. Verse 29. The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, saith what? We could all quote it. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. See him? He's pointing. That's what Paul's doing. He's pointing him right to Christ. He doesn't do it once. Look there, if you would, at verse, uh, verse 30, verse, uh, 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 verse 35. Look at verse 35 of that chapter. Again, the next day, after John stood and two, and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Again, this is what he's doing. John points him there. Paul is taking John's testimony and saying, here's what John said. John's not the prophet. It is Christ. And that's what Paul is doing. Again, he's pointing them to Christ by using one of their great preachers during their time. In fact, look at one more. John chapter 5. Just to, uh, <clears throat> just to kind of see this again. John references it here again in John chapter 5. And we notice here, and I don't have time to if you will, exegete this whole text. But I want you to see the witnesses. Look at the witnesses that Jesus himself says is speaking concerning who I am. Look at verse 33. Look what the Bible says there. 
He sent on to John, and he what? He bare witness to the truth. John the Baptist was a bearer of witness. He was a bearer of truth. He pointed to Christ. Look at verse 36. Christ says, if, if you don't believe John, I've got one greater than John. How about the works that I'm doing? Look at those. Look at verse 36. But I have greater witness than that of John. For the works which the Father hath given me to finish, the same works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. In fact, he goes even farther. Look at verse 37. God the Father bears witness. Look at verse 37. And the Father himself, which has sent me, hath borne witness of me. And finally, if that's not enough, if John's testimony isn't enough, if the works that I'm doing, I'm raising the dead, brethren. I'm calling the sea. I'm doing all of these things, only the things that God can do. If that's not enough, there's one more thing. Look at how he finishes there in verse 39. John the Baptist, his works, God the Father. Now look, at he brings it right down onto the road. Verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are which, what? Testify of me. Again, brother, over and over again, we are sent back to scriptures. We are pointing them to Christ through the word of God, which is exactly, precisely what every good preacher should do. Again, as I said, Paul uses God's ancient history for Israel and the more recent testimony of John to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ, that God, who did indeed send Christ as their Savior, as he began in the beginning speaking of David and his lineage. Now look there, if you would, at Acts 13. Look at verse 26. So 24, 25, Paul is just beautifully laying out his spirit-led sermon as the Spirit leads him to preach unto these men that are gathered here those who are gathered together. But look at verse 26. Look what he says there in verse 26. <laughs> Men and brethren, this is important, brethren. This is something that uh, sometimes we will read over and we miss. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. Now the Apostle Paul, again, beginning here in verse 26, is led by the Spirit of God to begin to preach unto them the gospel. He lays all the groundwork out there. Here's the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, beginning here in this particular passage of Scripture, he begins now to preach unto them the gospel. It is a most glorious thing. The gospel of their salvation. In fact, if we notice here, he flings the door open. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing thing, because you look at how, 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 how Luke recorded it, men and brethren, the stock of Abraham, and then whosoever fears God. I mean, he's, in, he's just flinging the doors open to all. He's saying anybody, the whosoever's, whosoever will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. And we see that here again. And uh, in fact, <clears throat> the whosoever's who believe, and again, uh, why one believes, and the source of that belief is a subject for another grand glorious day. Amen. That's going to come in just, a, Lord willing, a couple of weeks when we get to verse 48. The gloriousness of, of that, the source of it, why we believe, all of that is answered in verse number 48. But you see there, he says, men and brethren, literally, that word, those words, men and brethren, literally mean of the same womb. In other words, Paul is saying, hey, I'm your brother too. I was an Israelite. Remember, he spoke of all of these things, and he says, men and brethren, hey, of the same womb. Paul literally, I like how one pastor put it, gives his Jewish brethren the opportunity to be first responders to the gospel, which he always did. You remember that. You see that first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And we see it again. He just flings it open. 
He says to all, to anyone, to all whosoever will believe on the gospel, the children of the stock of Abraham, he, he again brings in their ethnic heritage. Remember that? You remember what they stood strong on. The Jewish men always stood strong on their heritage. Remember, Jesus had a conversation with them, and uh, he was telling them, I'm God, I've come from God, and they said, well, we have Abraham, remember that? We have Abraham, that's what they would rely on, they'd rely on the stock of Abraham, that's what they would do. So Paul's just saying, hey, you of the stock of Abraham, let me tell you that you too can enter in, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as he is doing that there. In fact... Whosoever among you that feareth God is the Gentile God fears. So he again flings it open to all. The Jews, those from Abraham, and any Gentile who will believe. In fact, it's an amazing thing, brother, because what he does then, he flings it open. And what does he do? He then preaches unto them the gospel. I want you to see this in our text. Look there, if you would, at verses 27 and 28. He lays the groundwork out there, sets this thing up as the Spirit of God leads him, and then look what he does. Look at verses 27 and 28. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, there he is, remember we looked at that last week, the prophets, those, you know, again, the word of God always points them back, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. Look at verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, yet desired they, Pilate, that he should be what? Slain. So what is he preaching? He's preaching the death of Christ. Right here, he takes it right off, brother. This is what it is. This is the death of Christ. This is what's happened. Lays the groundwork there. Look at verse 29. He speaks of Christ's death. Then look what he does. He speaks of his burial, the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel. That's what one must believe to be saved. Look at verse 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, we're going to come back to that, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. That's his burial, his death, his burial. And then look what he does. Brother, you can never preach. You should never preach about sin and about the condition that men are in. And leave them there. Never. Paul never does it. Now sin is something we must be addressed. There must be hard things said, which Paul has already said, which Peter said. We see that pattern. But he never leaves them there. He says, here's the problem. The Lord God himself has indeed brought the solution to the issue of your sin problem. You should never leave men and women in that condition ever. Because the Bible doesn't. Look at there what he says there. Look at that in verse number 30. I like that. Here's that great glorious conjunction. Here's what you men did. You men killed the Lord Jesus Christ. But God, look at verse 30, that glorious conjunction. But God raised him from the dead. It's a glorious thing, isn't it? You're stuck in your sin, but God. It's a glorious, again, I've said it a thousand times, those glorious two words. This happened, but God. And we see that here, don't we, brethren? We did the worst to him. We killed Christ because of our sin. But God did the best for him, for us, I should say that, in raising him from the dead. In fact, look at verses 33 and 34. Paul can't help himself. He just continues to speak about the resurrected Christ. 
God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again. You see that there? Look at verse 34. And as concerning, he raised him up from the dead. There it is again. He is really, uh, if you will, amplifying the resurrection. Look there, if you would, at verse 37. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So we see the death, the burial, and the emphasis on the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That which saves. It's an amazing thing. In fact, look what Paul calls that. Death, burial, resurrection. Look what Paul calls it. What does the Bible call the gospel? Which It is the gospel in a sense, right? Look at verse 32. We got the death, burial, resurrection. What does he call it? Look at verse 32 there, if you would. Verse 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings. <laughs> no, brethren, that's glad tidings. You preach the death, burial, and resurrection. Man is in his sin. God, and the Bible calls it glad tidings, just like Paul did. Just like the Bible does. It's glad tidings, brethren. There's a problem. Your sin issue, the Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. That's good news. That's glad tidings. Amen. This is what Paul is preaching. In fact, turn to Romans chapter 10. Paul could never get that out of his system, and we never should either. Amen. We should never, ever, ever forget the gloriousness of the gospel of Christ. Look there now, and I want you to count with me, if you would, this morning, again, the number of times that Paul refers back to Scripture. This isn't Paul's idea. This never was any man's idea. This is God in his history, if you will, bringing forth the gospel. Look there at verse number 8. But what saith it? What's he asking? Where does it say that? You don't just, well, what saith it, the Bible says. Well, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14. He's going to quote that. But what saith it? What's he doing? He's going back to Moses. He's going back to what Moses wrote. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. Listen. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, listen, and believe in thine heart, that what? God raised him from the dead. <laughs> Brethren, it's an amazing thing. We're going to look at this. God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be what? Saved. The death, the burial, the resurrection. One must believe that in your heart to be saved, brethren. The resurrection is a central piece to all of it. Again, the death, the burial, the resurrection. What does he do? I'm pointing you back to Scripture. I'm pointing you back to the Word of God. That never changes. That always has our best interest in mind. Verse 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, that's twice now in our text. Again, he's referring back to scripture. What's he speaking of? Who? What? The prophet Isaiah. Uh, amen. Twice. 28, 16 and 49, verse 23. The prophet Isaiah. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich, and unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. And when you call upon God, what must you believe? The death, the burial, and the resurrection. In your heart, you must believe that that is true, to be saved. That's the foundation. It's not sinner's prayer. It's not you know, some Baptist voodoo thing that gets made up. It is believing that which is written about Christ in the scriptures. Look at what he says. How shall I call on him? In whom they have not believed. How shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? Look at verse 15. 
And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, there it is again, back to Scripture. Where is it written at, brother? In Isaiah 52. Again, he's just quoting Scripture, the Old Testament. You know that stuff that the modern-day Ahab saying we should unhitch from? This is over and over and over again in Scripture, over and over and over again. He refers back to the solidarity, to the solid and sure Word of God. Look at what he says. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And bring what? Glad tidings. There it is again. Glad tidings of good things. Serene Jones. Anybody know who that is? You ever heard of her? She's a modern day Jezebel, just so you know that. An absolute Jezebel of Jezebels. You can believe this is what she said just this past Resurrection Sunday. In fact, Hulk Hogan, anybody know who Hulk Hogan? I'm sure everybody's heard of him. Hulk Hogan has a better testimony about the resurrection than this Jezebel does. It's an amazing thing, brethren. Jezebels and Ahabs everywhere, because we're going to see another Ahab here in a moment. Look at here. This is what Serena Jones said. You can believe in resurrection without believing in a bodily resurrection. Faith is, is more than adherence to rigid dogma. Young lady, let me just warn you. You are on your way to hell. If you do not believe in the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot be saved. Period. We must believe what scripture is written. In fact, look what Paul does in Acts 13. Look back there quick. Because he does the preaching and then he gives, gives them this warning. Let's look at what he does. He preaches this truth concerning Christ and then he gives them this warning in verses 40 and 41. Look at verse 40. Look at that first word. Beware, therefore. <laughs> he's preaching the gospel. Now he's going to warn those who he just preached to. Look at that, verse 40. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you, which is spoken in the prophets. There it is again. There he's going back to the word of God. Here's the sure word of, sure word of God that doesn't change. I know your emotions change. I know your thoughts change. I know that we want to soften some things up. But the Bible never does. That's why it has to keep going back. I, I remember my daughter, Faye. When she moved out, she found a, uh, what do they call that thing, a diary? You know, sometimes people write in their diaries, right? And I remember her coming up to me, and she was reading it. You know what she said? She said, Dad, I don't remember it that way. You don't remember it. That's, right. That's why it's got to be written down. That's why it goes back to Scripture. It never changes, because you change. Your memory changes. Your thoughts change. The Word doesn't. That's why it keeps going back. Look what he says. Look what the prophet said. In fact, who was the prophet? Habakkuk. <laughs> Again, quoting these, these, these prophets that we hardly ever look at. But he's quoting Habakkuk right here in the prophets, verse 41. Behold, ye despisers and wonder, and what? Perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man, what? Declare it unto you. Brother, this is an amazing thing when you think about this. Paul's solemn warning to those who do not believe in and adhere to what the Bible says concerning Christ is not just some rigid dogma. Brother, there's some truths that don't change and they do not change. But what must never be removed from it is the love of God. You realize God sent his own son 
Amen. Isn't that what John 3.16 says? For God so loved the world in this way that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever shall believe on him shall not what? Perish. Shall not perish. It isn't just rigid dogma. It is the love of God towards a sinner who needs to be redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just some rigid dogma that one must believe. One must but it is much greater than that. It is the love of God on full display for the sinners. It's an amazing, stunning thing how this can be just so mis misconstrued. The whosoevers that believe in him will never perish. The whosoevers who do not, they shall perish. And Mrs. Serena, I give warning to all of us. You are indeed if you do not repent and believe the things concerning the Lord Jesus Christ written in Scripture, you will indeed go straight to hell. It's an amazing thing, brother. It really, really is when you consider these things this morning. The seriousness of the text of what Paul is doing here. Look at verse 29 of Acts chapter 13. Again, I wanted to come back to this as he's, again, in the middle of the gospel. You've killed him. But look what he does in verse 29, and I've said it several times, and I'll say it again. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. The Apostle Paul, again, as I said, does what every good preacher should do. He commends them to God's holy word. He just goes back to his word again and again. The Old Testament the portion of the, of the, of the, if you will, of Holy Writ that we are told by modern-day Ahabs to unhitch from. So again, we got, we got Ahab and we got Jezebel this morning. Is the holy source that Paul uses again and again to show them the surety of the gospel of Christ. In fact, the Old Testament, if you're not aware of this, the Hebrew Bible is directly quoted 238 times in the New Testament. 30 of them in the book of Acts alone. It's an amazing thing, brother. It's referenced over 300 times in the New Testament. That is a holy source. That is a word that is powerful. You remember in Acts chapter 8, remember when the eunuch's preaching, when the eunuch's being preached to, what is he reading? He's reading the book of Isaiah. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I? Come and tell me. And from that scripture, he preached who? He preached Christ unto him, Isaiah. Isaiah, the great Old Testament Christ preacher. 30 times alone in the book of Acts. Look at verse 29. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him. Look at verse 35. Verse 35. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. What is he quoting? Is he quoting Psalm 16? That's what he's doing. Again, the word of God. Look at verse 33. He, is, he loves the psalms. Look at verse 33. He again goes back. Psalms 2-7 is quoted. Paul quotes it here. And the Bible says there in verse 33, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day I have, begot I have begotten thee. Again, referencing them back to the Old Testament. We already said, verses 40 and 41. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 is quoted. Warning them about them perishing for not believing the gospel. It is interesting. Paul does it. Peter does it. You know who else does it? 
You want to know who else references the Old Testament as he's having a discussion with the evil one himself? The greatest preacher that ever lived. The perfect preacher. If Christ does it, and Paul does it, Peter did it, we should do it. Amen? Look at Matthew chapter 4. I want you to see this. And not only does Jesus do this, and this is the cunning thing about our text as we look at this together, Satan does it. Do you realize that? Paul does it. Jesus does it here. We're going to look at this. But not only do they do it, Satan himself does it, but there's something he does when he does it. You know, men fell into sin. We are in the condition that we're in because of four words. Anybody know what they are? Yea, hath God said. Four words. He goes in and spins her around and asks questions whether God said it. And then what does she do? She does what most people do. She first adds to it and then takes away. It's an amazing thing. Yea, hath God said. God's word is central to it all and knowing and understanding the scriptures. I want you to see this. Look at here, Matthew chapter 4. Look at verse number 1. Again, a very familiar portion of scripture to us as we look at this together. Look at there, if you would, at verse number 3. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse number 3. We know what's happened here. When the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered, It is written. What is he doing? Jesus is referring back, of course, to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Look what it says. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Look at verse 5. Then the devil. The tempter comes, tries to get the Lord Jesus tempting him. Then the devil taketh him up unto a holy place, or a holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple. And saith unto him, look at here, if thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. What does he do? For it is written. See how Satan himself goes right to the scriptures? He's trying to quote Psalm 91. And if you go to Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12, you will immediately see what he leaves out. Read it together with me. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. Well, is that where verse 11 stops? If you go look in Psalm 91, verse 11, that's not where it stops. And he will keep thee in all thy ways. That's what Satan leaves out. It is written, yes, even Satan himself goes there, but he misquotes it like he always does. Yea, hath God said. This is what he does. But he leaves out that last portion. He shall keep thee in all thy ways. You know why? Because God... Christ, as we know, is God in the flesh. He is secure in God himself. Satan is trying to get him to turn and trust in someone other than his father, which he did not do. But he leaves that out. Look what he says there. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou shalt dash thy foot against a stone. Verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What's he doing? Again, Deuteronomy. He's quoting Moses, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, verse 8. Again, the devil take him unto a high, exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Look how Jesus responds. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. It is written. It is written. It is written. It's written. Amen. This is what it is. It's written because it doesn't change. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. 
Now, brethren, Jesus himself quotes the Old Testament. The sure word of God, which changes not. Paul quotes the word of God. In fact, if you turn with me as we kind of bring this to a close this morning, there's a lot to digest here. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you would, with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As Paul did here as he's preaching in the book of Acts, so too he does here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And again, a very familiar portion of Scripture to us. We're almost going to be gathering together here shortly around the Lord's table. And when we gather around the Lord's table, what are we doing? As we gather together, we are remembering. We're remembering. You know why we're commanded to remember? Because we forget. We do. Peter warned him, didn't he, how many times? I'm going to bring this to your remembrance. Even though you already know these things. Over and over and over again. Remember, remember, remember. 200 times. Remember. Remember, remember. That's what we're going to do here. And look here what Paul says concerning the gospel. As we are about to gather together. Look at verse 1. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse number 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. There's a lot even right there in that first verse. But listen. By which also ye are what? Saved. It's about salvation. It's about what I believe concerning that which saves me. And any, any alteration of that, you cannot be saved. Any alteration of what the Bible says concerning Christ, you cannot be saved. Look what he says. By which also ye are saved, if you keep what? In memory. A reminder. This is what I preached. This is what I've said. And look what he lays out. If you keep in memory now, again, I don't have time to actually, that doesn't mean you can lose your salvation. That word if has a lot of meaning there, and I don't have time to go into it this morning. But it's not, oh, you might lose your salvation. No, he's saying, keep this in your memory. This is what it is. This is what's written down through all of time. Look at here. For I delivered unto oh, he says, in memory, that which I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain and emptiness. No, the gospel is not empty. Believing in the death, burial, and body of the resurrection of Christ is not vain or empty. It is full of substance and power. Amen. That's what it is. Verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, of first importance, first in rank. This is important, Paul says. That which I also received how that Christ died for our sins according to what my own thoughts, according to the pastor's thoughts, according to what Mike thinks, according to what Graham thinks, according to what Brian thinks, according to what whoever thinks. No, according to what? The scriptures. Yep, that's right. Isn't it amazing? It always comes to that. This is how people get fouled up and messed up. Look at what he says. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was what? Buried. 
just like he preached in Acts chapter 13, the gospel, and that he rose again on the third day, according to my thoughts, according to what I think, according to what you think, no, according to the scriptures. That's the power of God, the gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation, as it is preached through the pages of holy we must never deviate. I've got to close, but just to show you, brother, sometimes how insane things happen. It's an amazing thing. You will notice we don't have an altar call here in our church. I think you've seen one in the last five years. And it was done by somebody, not one of us. And the elders are going, what, what is he doing? We didn't know what was going to happen. And he called, I think, Dean... Me, I came down front, I remember this, and I'm going, uh-oh, where is this going to go? And uh, he did the old Baptist thing. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I see that hand. Oh, who wants to trust God? I see that hand. And one of our members' sons came to the front and came to me, and I said, let me ask you a question. Can you describe for me the gospel of Christ? Right. He could not. He wasn't coming to Christ. Yep. The gospel, I don't think, was even preached. Yep. You can't come to something you don't understand to a degree. And I know you don't understand everything, but you realize you're a sinner who's going his way to hell and Christ is going to save you. You can't have people come and do those sorts of things. You've got to have a discussion. Explain to me the gospel. He could not do it. Therefore, you cannot be saved. We had a great conversation the next day. I said, you just sit here by me. You stay here. There ain't none of this stuff going on. That's what happens. False conversions are dangerous. Very dangerous, brother. They give you a false sense of security when it isn't there. Must be careful. He understood the gospel the next day. He trusted in Christ, I don't know when, down the road a little ways. But you can't have someone come and they don't know what they're coming to. Yes. The gospel of Christ, it is indeed the power of God unto salvation. This is what we see in our text this morning. Paul, continue with scriptures. David, here's David. Here's, you know, John the Baptist. These great leading men of Israel. You know what they all said? You know who they all pointed to? I must become less. He must become greater. It is Christ, brother. Christ, the central theme of all of Holy Writ. And we see it again and again. So we would implore you this morning, if you have not done so, if the Lord maybe has pricked your heart, your mind, concerning the truth of the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, in its sim that, look, that's in its simplest form. You and I can't understand all the theology in that. I still don't. And you certainly don't when you get saved. But you do understand the basic things. I'm lost. I cannot save myself. The Lord Jesus Christ died and rose again. I implore you this morning to, if you haven't, to trust, as Paul said, in the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust in him. For the believer this morning, we pray, don't we, that this is again an encouragement to us. That the word of God again, as we see 
how it's put out there and how it's laid out and how it's so finely knit together. The gloriousness of God. Let me remind you, one in 100 octrillion. That's an amazing number. One in 28 zeros. That's just eight. Just eight of the 300. Oh, brothers, yes, this is a divine book written by divine men who have led by the divine spirit of God. Only God could do that. No man can or ever could. Trust in that this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again this morning for your loving kindness to us. We thank you for the gospel message. We thank you what it entails and what it says to us. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is indeed the perfect sacrifice. He put on flesh and dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us. He, literally, we looked at Revelation the other night. That word is only used five times in the New Testament by John. And it means to spread his tabernacle over. It, it denotes the idea of protection and fellowship and Father we thank you that he tabernacled as John said amongst us he is the light of the world he came and the Bible says that men love darkness and Father we thank you for his sacrifice for his life his vicarious atoning life and death for it is through that when one believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, when they trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, his death becomes their death. His burial becomes their burial. And his resurrection becomes their resurrection to the newness of life. And Father, we thank you again for your loving kindness to us. We pray as Paul prayed. Pray often. The lost will hear the gospel, that you will draw them unto yourself, that the Spirit will regenerate them and they will see and look up and see the Lord Jesus Christ, whom John said, and Jesus actually said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Father, we thank you now and love you and pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all God's people said.